Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Monica Stanku, the Senior Diversity and Inclusion Manager at Lloyd's. Monica leads the diversity and inclusion work at the firm, and it's the world's biggest insurance and reassurance marketplace. Previously, she has a resume that's big and impressive enough to give anybody imposter syndrome. She has worked in diversity and inclusion at the Royal Academy of Engineering, Sodexo, and F. Hoffman LaRoche. In addition, she worked in international affairs and human rights at the European Medicines Agency and the United Nations. She's the author of a book, Building Diversity and Inclusion from Commitment to Action. She's got a master's in women's history from Sarah Lawrence College in the US and was a visiting scholar at the Institute for Research on Women, Gender and Sexuality at Columbia University in the city of New York. Phew. But if that wasn't enough, she's also been selected as a global champion for women's economic empowerment by UN Women. She's won a We Are The City 2020 Rising Stars Award and has been listed as a 2023 and 2022 DNI Inspirational Leader by DNI Leaders. She is also a One Young World Ambassador and a mentor at Migrant Leaders. But just like Aurora, she also believes that well-being is an integral element of the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda and that the two belong together. In this episode, Monica shares how Lloyd's are addressing both challenges and helpful ways that smaller companies with smaller budgets can do the same. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Let's dive in. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion. Thank you so much for giving us some time to talk about the number of initiatives. I didn't know the right adjective to use there, to be honest. You've done so much at Lloyd's with DEI and, and B, and I just think our audience will really benefit from learning from, from an organization that, that takes well-being, and I mean that holistically, that takes well-being seriously. Um, so thank you for coming on and sharing your insights. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, so at the Wellbeing Rebellion, we are committed to driving the corporate mental health and wellbeing uh, agenda forward. But I'm interested to know if you have any personal experience of mental wellbeing issues that either you're comfortable to share or you think it's important that you share that inform why you do what you do. Sure, um, I can reflect a little bit on um, some of the challenges that come with being a diversity, inclusion and well-being specialist. So I feel very lucky that um, my career is very much about progress, making sure that I give my, my time, my energy and whatever talent I have to make a positive change in the world. Um, at the same time, I have to acknowledge that uh, when it comes to diversity and inclusion roles, so from a corporate perspective, those are quite unique roles um, in the sense that um, they are very sensitive, um, 
they are quite emotionally charged uh, and they're very personal to a lot of people. Uh, so um, that means, you know, there is a very high burnout rate among um, DNA uh, professionals out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I'm, I'm very lucky that at Lloyd's, uh, I have a very supportive line manager and our leadership team really understands that this is something uh, very important. However, it's, it's not the type of role that, you know, at the end of the day, you can just forget about what you've done during the day. We're trying yes. to solve problems that have existed in our society for, for centuries. Uh, and we've been programmed from, from birth, really, to be biased. From, from the moment we are born, uh, we are inundated with images and messages um, that say that people that are different in some way uh, are bad. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I can have a toll. Uh, it's, it's a fulfilling career, but at the same time, uh, I recognize that we are not trying to solve simple issues here. Um, from a personal perspective, um, I'm an immigrant, um, so uh, my, my family doesn't live um, in the same country as me. Um, so that means, you know, when something bad happens, personally or professionally, I don't have the same uh, support system. If, if you, know, you know, I have a heartbreak, I can't just go to, to the living room and talk to my brother or best friend that I know forever to talk about this. Um, so I sort of have to go through, through, through life in a way by myself. Um, so yeah, so that that can feel lonely sometimes. Um, I'm at home right now with my family, working remotely, uh, and my my manager has allowed me to to spend a few days um, working from home um, from my home country, and I've noticed how my well-being is just so different. I feel so positive, so filled with like life and tranquility and peace, and I I sometimes think, oh, like most people get to feel that all the time. Uh, and I only get to 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 have that support system just a few days uh, or a few weeks a year. So yeah, that's my personal challenge. Uh, I understand you know that that's something that all immigrants um, go through. it's It's part of the choices that we make. but yeah, sometimes it does feel harder from that perspective. And I think it's something we take for granted those of us who are working. Uh, in our home country or who are surrounded by people we've known for a long time, we take it for granted, um, that sense of belonging. It's the B word. This is the first time I've ever really thought about how difficult it is for someone who is working abroad, working far from home, um, just to to go through the the normal challenges of life, things that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily class as um, mental health issues like heartbreak like you said or you have a stressful period at work and you just want to be able to speak with people who speak your mother tongue understand your culture and um, can get where you're coming from and that's not something we always take into consideration um, particularly as Brits because um, frankly most of the world speaks our mother tongue so we get away very lightly so thank you for sharing that and, and shedding some light on that. The first question I really wanted to talk to you is about this intersectionality, which is the new buzzword, right, between Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion, where you specialize in 
and now well-being, which is increasingly they're becoming conjoined twins, let's say. I mean, when we first started Aurora, mental health well-being was definitely a standalone thing. It was um, a separate element in HR's people strategy. But we are now hearing intersectionality is key because you're dealing with people and people are a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, What does it really mean, that word, though, intersectionality? Yeah, for me, intersectionality is about recognizing that we don't just have one identity. We have several layers, several parts of our identities based on our race, ethnicity, culture, religion, sexual orientation. um, And all those identities intersect to create particular challenges. Um, So, for instance, um, a white middle class a uh, well-educated British woman working in the in the corporate world will have very different challenges from a Middle Eastern woman who is living in a refugee camp. Um, yeah. Right? So Seems obvious. Exactly. Um, or a, um, a younger woman, for instance, may have different challenges than a woman who's going through the menopause and all the health issues and the well-being issues that come with that. So I think it's really important that we we look at people as whole um, and we we try to dig deeper and understand that one size does not fit all and people have different challenges. And as organizations, mm-hmm. we have to recognize that and, and create environments where people are recognized as individuals and we create an environment where no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you feel like you belong and that place has also been created with you in mind. Now, it sounds idealistic. Um, It sounds simple also. Yeah, you treat people as individuals. But actually, it's quite a high bar, especially for an organisation the size of Lloyd's, um, because we are used to trying to automate and systemise everything for maximum efficiency, including the way we view our human resources. So when you then say, no, 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 we have to treat everybody as an individual. To me, if I was in um, HR or um, PNC, I would start thinking, well, (laughs) how how are we going to have individual policies for everybody? And it's a very similar thing to how we approach mental health and wellbeing strategies as Aurora. We're saying, it is about the individual. But what I say to people is don't don't freak out about that. That's not to say you have to have a, a separate policy per person. It's not that, is it? When you say treat people individually, it means have enough scope and flexibility within your service offerings and your support that it will apply to the majority of people regardless of whether they identify in one way or another or they're struggling with one concern versus another that's kind of my understanding is is that what what you do at exactly Lloyd's? yeah so it's all about making sure that you're flexible in the way you work and in the way um, that you think about your your benefits uh, and rewards um so like like I said when you are younger you may have different needs and challenges and things that you consider compared to uh, when you advance in your career. 
Mm. Um, so have that conversation with, with the people that you, you manage and, and see what makes them tick at the end of the day and what motivates them, what makes them want to work for you. It's just about getting to know your people. Not every single one. Now, I'm not saying you have to have one-to-ones with every single person, but we do in this new age, I think, have to reach out more and to, to stop assuming or presuming and guessing what people want or need and asking, listening, responding. That's, yeah. that's it. And I think that's actually quite liberating from a leadership and life manager perspective, because you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a mental health specialist. You don't have to be an expert in all disabilities. Um, you don't have to know everything. Just ask the people that you work with um, and they will have the answer. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yes, I completely agree. And then you've got diversity equity and inclusion and belonging and then well-being how do you start to integrate these two strategies if an organization um, historically has had two different um, siloed um, whether you call them tracks or specialities one with mental health and well-being which sat typically within HR function and one with DEI, which was separate. How do you start to integrate them and why should you? Yeah, I think it's really important to take a very holistic, strategic, intersectional and data-driven approach to your diversity, inclusion and well-being work. There is a lot of overlap between diversity and inclusion and well-being. So they do need to work um, closely together. They don't necessarily have to sit with the same person, but they do have to um, to communicate in a way that makes sense. So the way we do it at Lloyd, so for us, culture is one of the business strategic pillar for, pillars for the organization. Um, so for us, culture means diversity and inclusion, well-being, values and engagement, uh, leadership capability. That's from an internal perspective. And then from an external perspective, that's our market engagement and our market oversight. So how do we influence the market and help them on their culture journey? Um, then culture is also one of the um, uh, KPIs for our senior leaders. Um, for, uh, for, for all the employees, uh, well-being is sort of embedded in our values uh, and in our appraisal process. Um, so we have the values awards. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about making sure that you're flexible in the way you work and in the way um, that you think about your your benefits uh, and rewards. Um, so like like I said, when you are younger, you may have different needs and challenges and things that you consider compared to uh, when you advance in your career. Mm. Um, so have that conversation with, with the people that you, you manage and, and see what makes them tick at the end of the day and what motivates them, what makes them want to work for you. It's just about getting to know your people. Not every single one. Now, I'm not saying you have to have one-to-ones with every single person, but we do in this new age, I think, have to reach out more and to, to stop assuming or presuming and guessing what people want or need and asking 
listening, responding. That's, yeah. that's it. And I think that's actually quite liberating from a leadership and life manager perspective, because you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a mental health specialist. You don't have to be an expert in all disabilities. Um, you don't have to know everything. Just ask the people that you work with um, and they will have the answer. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yes, I completely agree. And then you've got diversity equity and inclusion and belonging and then well-being how do you start to integrate these two strategies if an organization um historically has had two different um siloed um whether you call them tracks or specialities one with mental health and well-being which sat typically within hr function and one with DEI, which was separate, how do you start to integrate them and why should you? Yeah, I think it's really important to take a very holistic, strategic, intersectional and data-driven approach to your diversity, inclusion and well-being work. There is a lot of overlap between diversity and inclusion and well-being, so they do need to work um, closely together. They don't necessarily have to sit with the same person, but they do have to um, to communicate in a way that makes sense. So the way we do it at Lloyd, so for us, culture is one of the business strategic pillar for, pillars for the organization. Um, so for us, culture means diversity and inclusion, well-being, values and engagement, uh, leadership capability. That's from an internal perspective. And then from an external perspective, that's our market engagement and our market oversight. So how do we influence the market and help them on their culture journey? Um, then culture is also one of the um, uh, KPIs for our senior leaders. Um, for, uh, for, for all the employees, uh, well-being is sort of embedded in our values uh, and in our appraisal process. Um, so we have the Values Awards. Uh, that's an opportunity for colleagues to recognize and highlight colleagues that really went above and beyond to support others and support the culture at Lloyd's, including from a diversity and inclusion and well-being perspective. And I've seen a lot of our Together Network um, um, chairs, for instance, being recognized through those, through those Values Awards. Uh, and they're also recognized through our appraisal process. So. Our values are embedded in the appraisal process. Um, if right. we care not just about what people do, but also how uh, they do it. So do we do our work in a way that reflects our values? Are we going above and beyond to support the culture at Lloyd's? If you're a well-being champion, for instance, or a mental health first aider, or a, uh, a committee member for our employee network, that's something that is being considered by uh, by by the line managers when they're having those conversations. So I think that's just a, a just a way to to send a message that this is important for the organization. I love that because integrating the um, the the additional responsibilities that so many well-being champions and leads have with their uh, appraisal of their actual role and, and, and integrating how well an employee is living the values with their 
success in that role um, is is one of those tangible ways in which you can show that these things really matter at Lloyd's and you can reward people who are doing the work. So I, I really like that. I would also add um, the work that our Together Network um, chairs are doing. So um, at Lloyd's Together Network is sort of the umbrella diversity and inclusion network for all our communities. So we have a gender community, disability community, um, military community, etc., and they all come together. Employee resource group. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We we just call them communities, um, right. yeah. and they all come together every six weeks to um, find areas where we can work together. For instance, and make sure there is no duplication of work, and see if there is a way to to collaborate. So intersectionality is actually something that is really important for them. I'll give you the example mm -hmm. of our gender community, for instance. Um, they've done um, a session on the menopause for International Women's Day. So that's intersectional in the sense that combines you know, women's uh, issues, our gender, with age. Um, mm -hmm. We uh, also have um, our uh, Pride and Allies community. Uh, who are always thinking intersectionally as well. So um, they've done uh, a session on trans, they've, they've done a screening, a film screening uh, on trans women and some of the challenges that they have. So again, that has an LGBT angle to it and a gender angle to it. So it's always, they're always thinking about ways to include others in the conversation and have those deeper, more meaningful conversations around diversity and well-being. And what impact have you seen with this integration of um, well-being and, or the, let's say the intersectionality between well-being and the other very important people streams, um, how is it having a positive impact on the employees at Lloyd's? Um, so we measure well-being through our uh, engagement survey. And we know, for instance, that our well-being results are some of the highest um, uh, scores. Um, compared to all other questions that we ask in the engagement survey. So clearly we are doing something <laughs> uh, that is working uh, and people tend to quote uh, our flexible working, for instance, as some of the things that they do appreciate and then support their well-being, as well as our um, uh, benefits. Uh, our benefits tend to be quite inclusive. So one, um, they're very flexible. So you get to pick and choose what makes sense um, for you. Um, for instance, parents may, may make different choices in terms of their health insurance compared to uh, younger people. Okay. Um, and then uh, our family leave policies are also gender neutral. So it includes men, women and uh, non-binary folks as well. And that's something that people, again, really appreciate and, um, and recognize. And it's like you said, it's... It does make your life easier if you could be more flexible when you're determining policies because then you have fewer rules that you have to um, either create or then enforce. If you just say, this is the parental leave policy, it applies to anybody who is a parent mm -hmm. rather than for women. But, but then I guess there are times where you have to be... Um, specific and I don't know if those have presented any challenges do you have any areas where there has been some either challenge or where things haven't worked out as well 
mm-hmm. as you'd anticipated when it comes to either the integration of DEIB or even just setting um, new uh, policies, initiatives or support services in place for these? Yeah, so if I reflect back to the first year when I was at Lloyd's, it was in 2021 uh, when lockdowns were still uh, in place and there was a lot of anxiety and also a lot of interest uh, in in mental health and well-being in general. Mm. Um, so at the time, I think the, the mistake that uh, that we've done was to go a bit overboard, if I'm honest. Uh, we had so many well-being webinars and yoga sessions and yeah. activities that I think we we overwhelmed people. I think the intentions were were very good in the sense that we wanted to give people choice as much choice as possible. But you know, we we also probably created a bit of fear of missing out if you couldn't if you couldn't attend every session that that was um, organized. Um, and we, we did record a lot of the sessions for, for people to look back. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was one of the feedback um, uh, points that, that we got from colleagues saying that it's, it's a bit much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah, we, we, we then started to be a bit more intentional um, about what we put out there. And you're not the only company. I know that for us, we started Aurora in 2017 pre-pandemic as if there was ever a time and it was very very difficult to get corporations to come on board with the whole you need to care about your employees well-being then the pandemic hit and suddenly these us new kids on the block we are the most popular company that they know oh could you do this could you do this and there were lots of companies who were trying they knew there was a problem because everybody could feel it personally I feel lonely, I feel worried, I feel bored, I feel trapped. So it was very clear that um, as a leader or a manager that you needed to do something to support your your staff, but you didn't know what. So you were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at the problem. And um, that has the risk of, well, like you said, either FOMO, but also overwhelm. And that's something that people are still, I think, grappling with now, this whole I call it empathy apathy or caregiver burnout or whatever you want to refer to it as but where we've just heard so much about the need to care about ourselves and our mental health and our well-being that we've switched off a bit which is um it's a new challenge because as much as we've heard a lot about it it, there's still a long way to go we haven't actually improved our mental health and well-being and the statistics are still uh, too poor. So um, what do we do about that? And have you noticed anything in that that regard yourself about people just thinking, oh, not another mental health webinar or training? I think once lockdowns sort of stopped and life kind of went back to normal, um, a mm. lot of people assume that the well-being challenges also went away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as if... How naive. Not, yeah, <laughs> as if the only um, reason why you would have mental health challenges is because you are working from home or um, a bit more isolated. Um, so I think, yeah, I feel like this is not something that 
continues to have the same spotlight as it had in 2020 or 2021, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but there's still progress. I think what, what we've learned from the pandemic is that there is a lot more education and, and awareness uh, and interest mm -hmm. uh, in this topic. Younger people feel a lot more empowered uh, to um, ask from managers that they are treated like individuals and that um, their well-being matters just as much as their uh, objectives and KPIs. Um, there is no turning back, I think. Um, and I think moving forward, we'll see more of a push from from people to to reconsider work and why we work and how we work um, and people will be willing to walk away if if they don't feel like their work is fulfill, fulfilling or if their work is is damaging for their mental health um, and I think I applaud younger people for for being so vocal about it um, I think we're in good hands with the next generation. I think it's brilliant. And what we are therefore responsible for is making sure we have an answer when they come to us and say, I need help. And I think that's got to be the focus of the next five years is making sure that the managers that we have in place and the managers of the future are trained to support their staff um, and that we also have a culture in our organization. And I know we say this all the time, but you do. You have to have a culture that encourages people to speak up and makes it safe for them to do so. So psychological safety. And then that, that provides solutions, not just they're there. You know, you have to actually help your employees move forward. So I, I think you're right. The genie is out the bottle and there's no putting it back. Um, uh, one area that I wanted to talk to you about is it's the dry side of this stuff. Um, many people would consider it's the analytics. I come from an oil and gas background and I almost, I don't know, three quarters of the role, uh, the roles in that organization had the word analyst after it. So it's an analytical kind of organization because you're talking with about big money and big risk so I have learned to live by the Peter Drucker quote if you can't measure it you can't improve it to me it's always been a nonsense that organizations haven't had mental health well-being and sometimes even DEI um, key performance indicators or stewardship metrics. We run a roundtable that's all about how you can quantify happiness because you can and you must. If you don't measure it, it very quickly will become the thing that you don't do. So how at Lloyd's, do you measure the effectiveness of your well-being interventions, both to the individual, but also to the company as a whole? How, you know, how is it a good return on the investment? Yeah, and I think it's really important to, to use your data and find the, the various data points to understand any trends. 
um, that are uh, happening in your organization. Sometimes people think of well-being as, as this soft, fluffy thing mm. that you can't measure, can't really understand. It's very subjective. But actually, you're likely to sit on a lot of data. Um, so, for instance, at Lloyd's, when I joined, uh, I started putting together a pack that collects um, well-being related data from various resources. So that's our employee assistance program, for instance, uh, which tells you how many men versus how many women use use your um, um, uh, service um, or how uh, the type of um, services that they that they access through that program. Um, We also got data from our doctor at hand um, service Mm -hmm. from Headspace, which is a meditation app that we use. And, you know, that data can tell you what are the most popular um, Headspace meditations that people use. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they can tell you if you're having a conversation with your Headspace relationship manager, they can tell you, is this in line with what you see in other organizations or is this something specific for us? So just to give you an example from the Headspace app, um, we, uh, we saw that, uh, anxiety, uh, and stress were some of the meditations that were like the most popular. Um, so mm-hmm. for me it was, oh, oh my gosh, we have a huge problem, but our relationship manager told us actually that's quite normal. That's why people use, uh, meditation apps to, uh, to help them with, uh, stress and anxiety. So yes, look at it, but don't think it's something that is specific to your, uh, organization. Um, we also have our engagement survey um, as well. So through that engagement survey, we ask questions around well-being, and then we can split that data to understand if um, if different groups of people have different experiences. So, for mm-hmm. instance, we found that uh, people with disabilities reported slightly lower well-being results. So that sent a message to us uh, that we need to do mm-hmm. a lot more around disability, to have more conversations around disability uh, and to do more to encourage people to ask for any adjustments um, that they might have to make sure we support them as much as possible to, to perform, but also to, to feel like they can thrive in the workplace. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of data. Uh, we also track our activities. So any well-being webinar that we have and yoga session, mm-hmm. anything that we, we have, we, we track it to understand, is, is this popular? Uh, are people actually wanting to, to, to do these activities? If not, then maybe stop it. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, we have very limited <laughs> resources and budgets. Um, so your data can tell you where you need to invest your, your, your resources and exactly. uh, what you need to focus on. Does your data reach the most senior levels? Is it actually available on scorecards that, that, that the board are looking at so that they can say, I know that we need to continue to invest in the well-being of our employees because X, Y, and Z results are being generated? Yes, yeah, so um, there is well-being data that they look at, including um, sick leave, for instance, or any data around well-being that we may have around access to to any resources and services that we we offer yeah and I think that's that's my tip for anybody listening is it's not just about getting the data and analyzing the data it's about what you do with it afterwards who sees it um because if you're struggling to get support from senior leadership it's probably because they don't understand the problem as much as you do so you're Mm going to have to show them thank you 
Um, when we met before, you did say something that I absolutely loved. Don't know if you remember, but you said good well-being isn't necessarily about the high-tech investments or spending lots of money, but rather it's about the everyday behaviors. And it's that phrase I loved, everyday behaviors, because it's intentional. It's an action. That's what leads to good mental health and well-being. And I think that smaller companies with limited budgets will be so relieved to hear that they don't they they don't have to invest huge sums in into getting effective well-being. Can you share some of the strategies that have worked well that any company can relate to and replicate regardless of their size or budget? Perhaps yeah. some examples from your time at the Royal Academy of Engineering might be useful. Yeah. I think there is a lot of research out there that says that people leave companies, they don't leave companies, they leave managers. Um, yeah. So uh, your manager has a huge impact on your well-being. Um, Amen. So, so if you want to to support the well-being of your workforce, invest in upskilling your line managers. Amen. I promise I did not pay her. She's just <laughs> spot on. Um, so yeah, promote, reward uh, people that actually care about their team members, uh, that look after them, that can show empathy, that are interested in educating themselves about various aspects of diversity and inclusion and well-being. Uh, and mm. I think when, when you do that, the well-being of your, your people will, will get much better. Um, the other thing that I think it's important for organizations um, uh, to do is also look at the dynamics uh, within the team. Um, mm-hmm. So your your line manager may be amazing, but if the people um, in the team are not acting in in an inclusive way, that will have an, a, a knockout effect on 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 everyone. Um, so it's important that line managers not only role model good behaviors and show empathy, but also take action when bad behaviors happen which is an unpopular thing to do. Nobody likes to be the bad guy, but sometimes it's necessary. And that's the inaction can speak volumes to so many people, right? So yeah, I think that's a really great tip. Finally, are there any resources that you could recommend to our audience to help them along their journey in DEI wellbeing in the workplace and why? I can recommend two amazing books. Um, one is The Authority Gap, uh, written by Marian Sigurd, which is one of the speakers that we invited to Lloyd's for International Women's Day last year. This is an amazing book. It talks about how women are taken less seriously in the mm-hmm. workplace. So their skills, their expertise, their perspectives are not, are not taken as seriously as a men's skills, perspectives, and experiences. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating book. It has all sorts of data there, and it shows how how early it starts. Um, she quotes a study uh, that says that uh, British parents are more likely to overestimate their boys, little boys' IQ, and underestimate their little girls' IQ. So even mm-hmm. if think about it, even your parents are biased against you. <laughs> uh, so I thought that's just a fascinating book. Um, the other book that I would really recommend is Invisible Women, mm-hmm. uh, which talks about how uh, the world around us has been built for men and um, the other half of the population has basically mm-hmm. been ignored. Uh, and it happens everywhere in medical research, in urban planning, 
um, in, in how workplaces work. Um, one of the most fascinating study that she um, uh, quoted was around uh, medical research. So for clinical trials, um, most clinical trials are done on men. Um, so we have no idea about the long-term impact of certain drugs and medicines that have been approved and, and the impact on women's bodies. Um, so think about it, DNI and well-being. These are safety and health issues at the end of the Absolutely. day. Yeah. We always need to have a DNI and well-being lens to anything that we do, not just to our HR processes, our people processes, our culture, but um, to the work and products and services that, that we put out there. So yeah, really recommend this, these two books. They're amazing. They're amazing. Thank you. And we'll put the link to those two resources in the show notes um, so you can go and grab your copies. Uh, thank you. And uh, just you just made a point there, Monica, that I thought was brilliant, which is this is an issue of safety. And, you know, we've even started a roundtable called Mental Health is a Safety Issue because it is. It is about the health and safety the mental health and safety of your employees. So yeah, mental health, well-being, DEI, they are not just a moral concern or a, you know, a nice, this is a tangible safety issue for your employees. So yeah, bear that in mind too. Um, now, before you go, I always ask this question to all of my guests here at the Wellbeing Rebellion. So I'm curious, Monica, as a fellow well-being rebel, what is the one change that you would like to see implemented in workplace well-being? I'll mention two changes. <laughs> um, okay, I'll give you an extra one. <laughs> from um, uh, a very practical perspective, um, make sure that you have flexible benefits. People have different needs. One size does not fit all. So make sure there are options and choices um, for people. And uh, the other one I mentioned before, um, hire, promote, and reward line managers that are actually inclusive and, and care about the development of their people. Thank you. Um, I think those are two fantastic changes that will do wonders to improve not just workplace well-being, but let's face it, to improve the world. So yeah thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today monica it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me thanks for listening to this episode of the well-being rebellion if you liked what you just heard please share it with your colleagues follow us on linkedin the link will be in the show note and generally show us some love we want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.